Welcome to episode six of the Elite Forum podcast. Today, LaDonna Reed. LaDonna is the exhibit and conference manager with NSCA. Uh, we caught up in San Antonio, so you'll notice the sound is a little bit different. And a shout out to Kyle Dermon and our team for helping take care of that. I seem to keep handing Kyle a lot of challenges with the audio on these things. Uh, and he's doing a great job of uh, balancing things out as best he can. So at least these things are listenable. Madonna and I talk about Masters Athletics, uh, doping in athletics, and then, of course, cover a few things in terms of her challenges and the things she works on with the NSCA in terms of hosting conferences, her work with vendors, etc. So without further ado, LaDonna Reed. But it is, it is all fair now. Okay, so I'm open. Talk about your birthday. It's tomorrow and I love birthdays, so yes. So what are you going to do for <laughs> So, oh, are we on now? We are. We are on. Okay. Hello. Testing. One, two, three. Okay. So we kind of went through. Yep. Yep. Where, where we might drive the car. Okay. Where we might drive the pod. Perfect. Okay. So, Don't yes. Overthink it. Don't overthink it. That's, that's my, my advice. Okay. My birthday is tomorrow, January 11th. Each year since I was little, I throw myself my own birthday party because there's no disappointment. I know what I want. I know what to have. It's a really big thing. Do you ever watch Parks and Rec? I do. Do they treat yourself? <laughs> yes. I do. I treat myself. So how do you treat yourself? Um, some, it's some years there's a theme. Could be a color theme. Could be an event theme. Literally. What about uh, this year? This year is going to be the first time I have someone doing something as a surprise. So my husband has let me know not to plan anything. I was our, I don't get to pick it's my his. own theme. It's, it's his. his. So I have no idea. This is the first nice. time. And I'm okay with it's not always like a big event. It could just sure. I just enjoy the day. Um but yeah, birthdays to me are important. You're alive. You got to celebrate that. We have a lot of cancer in the family, so when you can celebrate a birthday, sure. Oh yeah. That's oh yeah. Good. Yeah. My wife, in the spirit of that, okay. my fortieth birthday. Okay. Through me, you've seen the movie Fight Club. Yes. A Fight Club themed prize party. Whoa. Uh, and it was great. And so now, when you say "whoa," <laughs> look on your face says there's literal fighting. Yes, involved. yes. Uh, I mean, no one talks about Fight Club, room. but yes. Right. Yeah. <laughs> the, the rules that don't get broken. Right. Are the ones that get broken first. <laughs> so uh, friends over. Okay. Libations. Okay. Yes. Yeah. We went to a midnight showing. Oh, Fight Club really? It's set up in a local theater. Wow, so, that's impressive. Yeah. That's a, that's the kind of stuff I would do. Something There's very unique. Okay, she's a good so, woman. You keep her. I will. I will. <laughs> you keep her. Well, yeah. So I understand. Okay. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Not every year. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. So no, it's it's a new milestone. So I move into a new age bracket. So age bracket four. I compete for USA track and field at the national level for masters. Okay. So masters, you have to be 35 years old. And it's every five-year increments. And so I have been competing in the 40 to 44 age bracket. Mm-hmm. And Cycling I, has similar fantasy. Okay. Okay. Yep. yep. So which bracket are you moving to? I am moving into the 45 to 49. So have you done the order analysis where you've looked at the distances between the two brackets to know where you stand? What I can tell you... Just in an overall view, it's like wine. As they age, they get better. So I was impressed when I was in my 30s 
to see people that were in their 40s and 50s running faster than the 30-year-olds. And I'm like, how can that be? What is the magic secret naturally? (laughs) What are people doing? Um, And I think it came down to training. People, you know, and the 30-year-olds still have the kids in school and taking them to daycare and all the after-school activities. 40 and 50-year-olds have their kids in college and they're empty nesters and they can hit the track when they want to. And I... I mirror that. (laughs) Yes. Okay. So, yeah. So, I feel like I'm getting faster. I'm getting wiser with my training and it's playing off. So, I'm excited about it. So... What events are you competing? I compete the 100 meter, the 60 meter when it's indoor season, uh, long jump and javelin. And I'm currently ranked number one in the U.S. for javelin in 2019 season. So I finished the season. Thank you. Thank you. Um, I didn't even know about it. I knew I had done pretty well at a regional competition, brought back a silver medal from Toronto and it was a friend of mine who said, hey, how'd you finish the season? And I'm like, ah, you know, in one piece. I don't have anything broken. I didn't need surgery. That's always a good thing. different man. Yeah, it's so, different. Right. It is. So the priority is <laughs> first we're going to start with health. Yes. To, uh, yes. I, I, am, I am in one piece and an orthopedic surgeon hasn't seen me this month. So that's always a good thing. My training's been great. Um, but she was the one that told me, I think you should check um, the rankings because the season is over. No one's throwing javelin, and you are seated number one in the entire U.S. for all the women that were forty to forty-four. So for you then, because that says a little something, but you weren't checking the standings immediately. No. So no. for you, is it you enjoy the process? Yes. And then if that process yeah. turns out, yeah, that it puts you on top. Yep. Then you're that's, the top. That's that's icing. That is icing on the cake. I think when I started masters, probably in my thirties, thirty-five plus. Um, Someone had told me, hey, you're like 200 and something ranked. I don't even know what event it was. Maybe long jump. It was something where I was like, oh, that's cool. You know, all right. I'm just trying to improve myself. And I think that's what track and field, pretty much what sports teaches, teaches you life skills. And yes, you would like to beat your competitor, but you don't always. But if you can race against yourself, going for, you know, tenths of a second off of a time, as we do in sprinting, um then yeah that's that's the excitement and the rankings come as they go and so i'm excited about it i i finished well um when i went to the regional championships the lady that won from another country is like five foot ten five foot eleven pretty tall girl um people who don't know you that way i'm only i'm I'm not only i am five foot three and a half and a half i was a gymnast um, growing up all my life for about 16 years, so most of my gymnast friends were none of us are taller than five foot three. Sure. <laughs> so I am petite size, five foot three, 120 pounds or so, uh, and I was pretty surprised at looking at the other javelin throwers who look like throwers. Um, I stand a little bit smaller than they are, but I did pretty well. So yeah, took a set. It is technique. It definitely is technique. Um, I started out in college at Cal State Fullerton as a gymnast, and then after a year, transitioned to track and field. That transition was devastating because all my life I was a gymnast. I only knew you go to the gym, you put in all these hours of body strength movement, um, and that's all I knew. And so when I got re- assuming new identity, basically. 
basically. Yes, you do. You have to. You definitely have to. Um, and I think there's just a family connection when you're around your athletes that are like you, training as much as you do in the world of gymnastics. Um, so when I transitioned and got removed off the team the next year, I was kind of like, what do I do? Um, I tell this funny story that I was quite upset about being removed after a year of gymnastics in college. I, I, I just saw myself being a gymnast the whole time in college. And so when I got removed off the team, just skill levels weren't there. Um, I was pretty devastated. So I went out to the track the next morning to run. Um, and I mean, it's 630 in the morning, seven in the morning, and I'm just doing sprints, just trying to flush out that frustration. And it was a foggy day therapy in California. Session. Yeah, therapy session, foggy day in uh, California. And I see this guy coming through the clouds like the mist in the morning and I thought okay this so is a movie. this this, movie this, this is this is <laughs> this is going to be either a good scenario or something bad's going to happen. Yeah, yeah, I'm going to have to keep running. <laughs> Literally. Um, he didn't say anything but he just kept slowly approaching me through the fog and I thought this is I got to look for that blue emergency light on campus, you know, what do I do? Do I try to get something to protect myself and he walked up to me and he's like, "So you're a runner?" And I kind of, you know, I was with a little attitude. I was upset not being on the team from the day before. And I said, well, I'm really a gymnast, but I, I do run. And he goes, well, great. You made the team. And then he just disappeared into the fog. That was it. And I stood there like, what the heck just, <laughs> just happened? Um, Did you ever get any sort of story after the fact? Like, No. He, after he disappeared, I was kind of like, well, that was weird. And I'm looking around like, is he going to come back out? The, the fog, you know, dissipated and the track was open the sun came so just for clarity there was not like there was a tryout going on and you no it was on a it was on a saturday morning i went to the track early to de-stress and a coach he was the head coach, head coach of, the, of the, team, yeah, the team of the sprint team also happened to be benjamin brown gold medalist from the 1968 olympics I had no idea who he was. No, I had no idea who he was. He just said, you made the team, I'll see you Monday, and then disappeared into the fog. I show up Monday, and mind you, my whole life has been gymnastics, so I'm kind of dressed like a gymnast. I'm not dressed like the track athletes. I don't even have spikes. I don't have any, you know. And that first workout, hill workout, was very hard. Um, and he says, well, you don't know how to run. And I kind of gave some attitude, like, what are you talking about? I've been running all my life. And he goes, you run like a gymnast, so. So he made me walk the lines of the track in a circle for the first four or five days. I didn't get to run after that. I had to just walk in the nice, walk in, a in a particular way. form on a line, circling a 400-meter track. Well, that had to be really exciting. That was embarrassing. I was like, this is stupid. I should just quit. <laughs> I should leave. And... Um, after that, he says, you know, um, we have some athletes who are going to go check out um, the Nike um, shoe store to get some shoes. You guys probably should get some new shoes. So we end up going to our coach's house for him to grab something. And I see this mural on the wall. And I see men standing, this black and white mural, super tall on his wall. And I was like, coach, look at those guys from the Olympics. I'm like, look at their afros. Look at their socks pulled up to their knees. This is crazy. And he's like, yeah, that's that's me. And I was like, oh, <laughs> oops. So um, I quickly learned. Was it oops or was it, oh, that's pretty cool. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Okay. It, it was also embarrassment, you know, your foot well, in your mouth kind of thing. Know. I didn't know. But um, he taught me a lot. 
Um, unfortunately, he did pass away from a car accident, um, but he helped shape my running form and my technique and drilled that in from the beginning. And so I think that has played a big part now that I'm going to be 45 and I run with a technique that I've been taught and drilled in from those beginning times. Well, despite the fact that he made you walk the line through uh, Yes. Obviously, some sort of enjoyment of track and field. Yes, yes. I, I truly, I do love running. I, I'm a sprinter. So when I hear people say that they do marathons, I'm kind of like, hmm, that's that's foreign. I don't, I don't get that. <laughs> you mean miles. Um, I want to finish something under 30 seconds. So if it's not the 200, if it's not the 100, it's... So based on the array of things you said you already do, one yeah. question I was going to ask is, it seems like you're a half step away from doing like a day um, right. That's a good There's question. Yes. Events, yes. Yes. It, like, well, that actually goes on. Okay. So I will backtrack. When I was a gymnast in college and I switched to track and field, um, Cal State Fullerton helped shape me to become a heptathlete. I didn't even know what it was. I'd never held a javelin. Um, definitely not a shot put. And um, I ended up breaking the university record. And that stood for about eight years. So, yep. I became Cal State Fullerton's sole heptathlete and broke the university record. Um, you were their only. I was their only heptathlete. The only heptathlete. Yeah, there were other sprinters and jumpers and throwers, but no one was a heptathlete at the time. So um, that was exciting, and I learned a lot from that, and I loved it. Um, once I left track and field, I thought, you know, that 800 hurts a lot. <laughs> So I'm going to pick the events that I really, really like now that I am a grown woman and can make my own decisions. I understand that. Yeah. So, so did being the only heptathlete help you with that transition from I'm a gymnast to now I'm a heptathlete? Yeah, it did. It did. Um, I think the one thing they saw was coming from gymnastics that I had a lot of upper body strength. And so there was a coach at the time. So this is in the 90s. Three, <laughs> 94, uh, who said, hey, we see that gymnasts have great upper body strengths. They should be pole vaulters. And they were going around recruiting gymnasts to be pole vaulters. And so I kind of dabbled in that, dabbled in the hammer throw, then became the heptathlete. And so it was kind of like I was a heptathlete that could also maybe pole vault and then also hammer throw. That's a, that's a lot of events. It's a lot of wear and tear on the body. Sure. So we just focused, had me focus on the heptathlon. And now in the Masters, um, I'm interested in throwing in maybe a hurdle, start training for that. That was part of the heptathlete, uh, heptathlon competition. But right now it's the 100 long jump and javelin. And I, I just truly love being able to train. I mean, I, if I wasn't competing... I would still be active. My whole life, um, since age four, has been sports. So I ran in Oakland, California at the age of four at a track mate. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. The gun went off and I covered my ears and all the athletes ran. It was like a kid's fun run. And the audience was laughing and I didn't know why. So they're clearly halfway down the runway and so I thought well I should go but I'm thinking nobody told me about this gun what is that sound it scared me I covered my ears so I came in last of course and I got that purple ribbon that said participation and so I told my mom I want to keep running so I can get a participation ribbon and she's like no no you want to run to get blue like first place and I'm like no purple is a good color I'm 
I'm running for participation. It was, a, it was a, your version of a color. Yes. At four, it, it, at four years old, I loved purple. And when they gave me that purple ribbon, I'm like, this is it. This is why I'm going to run. So, so did you ever go too fast, get a different color? And <laughs> I'm sure that happened. I'm probably matured. And by then it was like, I kind of like winning. So that's a good thing too. So yeah, I have been, my first track meet was age four. I'm going to be 45, and I've been running since age four. It's a long time, and still love it. And so I'm planning, in the Masters, you compete in every five-year increments, and I've gone to a national championship and seen people 100 years old running the 400. I see people 70 and 80 pole vaulting. So I have hopes for much more. Right now, this is the stage I'm in, but don't be surprised if we talk in a few years and now at you know, 65 years old, I'm pole vaulting and crushing it. Like, that's, that's the plan. That's the plan. Well, if you're going to do it. <laughs> I mean, yes. Mine as well. But you also see the population of people that are 70 and 80 and 90, and they're doing hurdles. And then you see where you have relatives in your family who might be that age, and they're in a nursing home, and they're using a walker, and they're not having a good quality of life because their body has broken down. I think if people can choose to be in a sport like a Masters, whether it's track and field or any cycling, whatever, it keeps their body young. It is the fountain of youth. It's a great way of reason to just keep Yes. Um, It's funny you say that. I have a personal training business called Get Moving because I think that is truly what every at least my vision in life should is is just to get moving so I, I am a certified personal trainer certified nutritional consultant and certified wellness coach and I incorporate that lifestyle with my clients that I don't you could be a 50 year old 60 year old my 20 year olds I want them to get moving in life so yeah Absolutely. yeah my plan is just go out on my shoe. <laughs> like just lean into a couple of cliches. Okay, okay, right? okay. So, like-minded. Yep, yep. Um, different sport. But yep. Same. Because mm-hmm. I don't really, I can actually, you know, sometimes you can kind of project, okay, I can understand why somebody does this way. Yeah, yeah. You know, when I see my parents, for example, mm-hmm. right, they don't do a lot right now. Okay, they don't okay. Do a lot. Okay. And there's no amount of polite prodding yeah. that seems to be effective in changing that. Okay. Uh, and unfortunately, I can have a that's not. Okay. Yes. Right? Yes. Um, motivation choices. comes in many ways. Yes, it does. No, it does. And so. I, you know, I'd say, so my dad was a bosun captain in the Navy and very athletic, very fit, uh, always in the gym. So that fitness mentality was instilled in me young. I remember going on to a base and my dad playing ball with the young, you know, soldiers or GIs and and, and then I kind of just hung out on a mat, a wrestling mat in the gym and did some cartwheels and splits, you know, as a young kid. And so um, it was not, to me, it was your lifestyle involves, yes, you go home and you do things but you also go to a fitness place. To me, it, it wasn't foreign. So when I started having kids, I was the mom in the fitness center with a baby in a stroller next to my treadmill as I'm sprinting. And people would be like, oh, you know, what are you doing with uh, 
you know, having your, your, your baby's only a month old. Yeah, yeah, I'm getting getting back healthy, getting back fit. And then as the, my girls got older, I'd take them to the track. And of course, you know, at their age and little toddler age, they ran around the track. They, they didn't care what I did. I did my workout. I did what I was supposed They're to do. Playing in the yes, they were. P- chasing butterflies and picking up stuff out of the grass. And like then, the yes, to them, it was mom works out, mom's an athlete. And I think that 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 platform shaped to who they are now. So I have a daughter named Shantae. She's uh, 20 years old at Mesa University and she's a rugby athlete. She is hardcore, just stellar. Um, instead of talking about college, we talk about her flipping tires and, and crushing people at a, a match. So that... And then you slip in in school. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Like a, a, yeah, right. At the end, in-house college. And then I have a younger daughter named Jolay, and she's uh, in high school, and she's the point guard on the basketball team on varsity. She's on the tennis team. She is on the track team, and she's a sprinter, and she's, a, you know. So they also were instilled with... Life is about being active. I, I, I love to see that they're in dynamic sports. No, I knew nothing about rugby. I still don't really understand the game. I just sit in the audience and, and, and clap. I can actually enjoy it now. Um, the first two times I was cringing and closing my eyes as a mom and like, oh my gosh, is she going to get up? Did she get a concussion? Or does she have her teeth in? You know, that kind of thing. Now it's like, so yes. how did you handle that with your kids when they were younger? Did they just, just let them try everything and then let them set yeah. up? Yeah, I, I would say I encouraged that. I encouraged them to try sports. Their first sports was Kempo Karate. I know nothing about karate. Uh, my daughter at a young age was, you know, bringing home karate weapons. And I'm like, what's a nunchuck? What's a, a three-staff sword? You know, um, funny story. To me, it was you go to karate practice, you know, three days a week, on weekends as well. And so at some some weekend, she had to have her karate bag with all her weapons in it. And so, but she had to take it to school. And, oh, yeah, yeah, someone at my, I have to do a work commitment. You'll get taken to karate, no problem. And I get a call from a principal who's like, you know, Miss Reed, we, we need to talk about this. There's some things you can There's some things. So your daughter has what's called a, it, it, it looks like a handle with a blade. And this was the, not the kid version one. This is the true. And I said, yeah, yeah, it's in her kimpo. It's in her karate bag. And she's like, yeah, well, she brought that to school. That's considered a weapon. I said, oh, I, to me, I mean, it's self-defense class. I don't know. And so I had to leave work quickly to go remove those items so that we didn't have a report and police. And, you know. can see where that might have caused mm-hmm. concern. Yeah, yeah. So I think parent, yeah, it, it was uh, enlightening. Um, but I think parents should encourage their kids to be in many dynamics of sports and movement, whether it is karate. Um, after that, my oldest joined lacrosse, again, a sport that I only thought was kind of played on a certain East Coast. And I'd seen, you know, men's lacrosse and I didn't quite understand it. So again... I was the supportive parents out there in cold days, in rain, watching them, watching her do lacrosse, and she became great at it. So it's like, I think that will, again, set the platform for life skills. And because you have a background in athletics, Mm -hmm. you transition yourself. Did you find yourself researching those sports your kids were interested in? You know. To, like, gain a bit more knowledge? Slightly. You would think... With my personality and then drive for fitness and sports, I would have been the one researching all of that. Instead, I just wanted to enjoy it. 
So when I would go to a lacrosse game, seeing these parents fly off the handle, you know, cussing mad at the referee because of a call, I kind of was just like, okay, now the score's down or they've got this point. To me, it was more enjoyable to not know all of the process. So I was just a supportive parent because I knew I would have then come home being like, okay, you know, when you're a midi and you're on this position, you should have done this. And I would have been become the parent quote coach. And I didn't want that. I just wanted to be the parent and I wanted to enjoy it. So ignorance is a little bit bliss. It is a little bit bliss. It's also a little scary when you're kind of like, you know, I don't know what just happened out on the field. Why? The, oh, why is it? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what? What just happened? But um, that was a little different, obviously, with track and field because that is my background. Um, so when my daughter started running, I started noticing some of the athletes coming up saying, you know, hey, Miss Reed, can how is my arm form? And I'm giving them some techniques. So finally... Um, in the town we live in, in Colorado, the school district said, hey, do you mind just volunteering your time to helping out this high school team? So I am now the assistant track coach for a high school team in Colorado Springs. Because you don't wear enough hats. No, I know. I, I, I don't know how I fill in all the time. So um, I do that, and I love it um, at the high school level. And so the athletes know me as the coach that's going to come through and ask them what they ate for breakfast and go over their nutrition. Um, I'm the coach that wants to talk about technique. You know, when I see their arm form breaking down on the 200, I I pick at that to help them understand, just like my coach helped me walk the line when I first started. So I'm giving back, and I love it. Um, nice. As schedules change, I'll probably become a little more flexible with being able to help out more, but I do dedicate at least a week volunteering for this high school team. And I shouldn't say once a week, because then we have track meets and... Everybody knows those go all day long. So, yeah. They do. Yeah. Yeah. So, I find myself busy. Um, I volunteer for a blood donation company in Colorado. They've done some commercials on me and my daughter. Um, I ended up having an unusual situation when I was pregnant, um, having a blood transfusion through the umbilical cord. To save my daughter's life, and so she has written in medical journals about this. So I uh, because that was a rare procedure. To yeah, it was a very rare procedure, um, and so she had in utero stopped making red blood cells, and so I had to have four intrauteral blood transfusions through the umbilical cord to save her life. Had about eighty something high resolution ultrasounds to watch and monitor her. Um, I was flown in a private. Uh, um, private plane to get to the hospital that oversaw my care and it was very unusual they like I said it's written in medical journals and so I'm sure it's how stressful uh, yes for your first pregnancy yes and so first one so I now encourage people to help donate blood to help save lives of others because she wouldn't have been saved without um, someone donating blood and it wasn't much it was in a small little baggie and I just remember this nurse doing like high-end math equation on a board in the procedure room and I'm like what is this lady doing and she was figuring out you know the, the amount they were going to transfuse and now my like I said my daughter is a rugby athlete so it has I, I wear that hat story as well. with a happy ending. yes story with a good happy ending so um, she has a shirt that says uh, donate blood play rugby and so <laughs> So uh, <laughs> yes. Guys, <laughs> yeah. 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 So it's been good. So I um, 
volunteer doing um, kind of lunch and learns and so forth to help people understand if they donate blood, they can help save about two to three lives and go from there. So, a lot of volunteering. A lot of volunteering. Uh, continue, Love. Continuing the process as an athlete. <laughs> yes. It seems to fit right in with working at the NSCA. Yes, it does. It does. Yes. And so how would you describe, how would you describe, like every, everyone knows a title, mm-hmm. things I often ask is, how would you describe what you do? How, how do you think about what you do? Yeah. So I am the exhibit and conference manager. And when I joined with the NSCA, I really wanted to have a different connection with the exhibitors, not just saying, hey, come exhibit, you know, thank you for your uh your, your funds and, and good luck at the show. Instead, I really try to find what each company, whether it's a, an equipment company or um, a tech company, where their niche is and how they can connect with our members and the people that are coming to the shows. And so that's the goal that I have. So I am the exhibit manager, but I'm kind of, I'm a people person. So I want to connect companies with people and companies or people and just really make that full circle so is it then more like vendor side like so there's there's the coaches who are going to attend mm-hmm. and does that fall into kind of some of what you do as well or are you more like a morons like me who <laughs> like are going to be attending from the Right. Good question. So I'm, um, or good statement, I'm more on the vendor side. So I mainly focus with all the exhibitors. Um, some of the companies are here, are sponsors. And so I work finding opportunities for them as well. And so um, I think education is the key to a lot of things. And so I think it's amazing that um, attendees come to these conferences, get the education content, because they need to go back into their communities and, and areas and disseminate what they've learned um, or improve on and so uh, that's important and so that's why a lot of them are here for the education information but then they're also here to see what's going on in the industry you know and so I think that's important and that's the side that I focus on yeah so we're day three yes last day of the conference Um, how much tea and coffee have you had um, I have never had coffee. Never had coffee. Never had coffee. I don't that know. Does not work well with our sponsorship. Yeah. <laughs> I love tea, herbal tea, but no, I um, I'm not a coffee drinker. I I feel like the energy that I have is good. There's plenty. I mean, I wake up like I wake up with what I guess people have for their you know Starbucks run or something that they must get to get going. I get moving just by you know. Shower, it just happens. It just happens. And it stays like this all day. It's rare for me to be... It's just who you are. It just is who I am. And maybe athletics has something to do with that. I don't hit the 3 o'clock slump and get tired. Just have because after I work, I go train clients or I train myself or I train athletes at a high school or I am mom. I, you know, I wear a lot of the hats, but... It doesn't seem like it's hustle and bustle and stressful. It just seems like that's how my life is rolling. And I'm happy. And it, it just keeps rolling. It just keeps rolling. It keeps get, just getting moving. So it's it's perfect. Um, I do have people that I know that, you know, they go to work, punch the clock, and then when they go home, they're just home. And to me, that seems so foreign. 
you know, I, I, I would want to be doing something. And maybe I do have my downtime. I, I definitely do. Of this, When you put your body through this much activity, it needs to decompress as well. So um, in Colorado Springs, we have some great hot springs. And so, you know, an hour drive up to the location and chill in a hot spring with the mountainside and snow right there. And you're in 104 degree warm water and mineral bath. That's probably probably <laughs> so i think um the one thing i would encourage so like yesterday at the conference i brought in a massage company and i cannot tell you how many people i heard say i've never had a chair massage man that felt great and i'm like really like not even not a chair massage i mean that means you've not had a full body massage. That means you have not had the opportunity to have your body have those trigger points worked out. Or you might get it on a foam roller here or there, but there's a... You can't uh, equate what takes place when you're having a good deep tissue, full body massage, therapeutic massage, especially by someone that's skilled and knows what they're doing. So I make sure monthly... I get a massage. I, you know, do other far infrared treatments, anything that's on the natural approach. I consider myself a natural athlete. So unlike some athletes that may say, I competed and my, my knee hurts, so I'm going to take an Advil or take, I don't take anything. I'll find, you know, an Epsom salt bath or I'll do an ice or heat or massage or some other modality naturally. So, mention being a natural athlete all the time. Yeah. What maybe some folks don't know mm-hmm. is you're involved uh, in terms of keeping people natural. Yes. Yep. 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 In whatever level you're comfortable with. Like, yeah. You yeah. Just describe what you did for people. Yeah. Purposes. We've talked about it before. Yep. I find it fascinating. Awesome. And coming from the cycling world, <laughs> it's always a very hot topic. Yes. Like, I don't have a clean. Like, there are clean tattoos people have that are bars of soap. Mm-hmm. It's red, like, <laughs> okay. That's kind of a thing. Okay. Um, so, yeah, it's an appreciation. But anyway, would, yeah. you, would you please kind of give everyone a... Yeah. So, in 2000, let's see, 2002, I started work with the U.S. Anti-Doping Agency, known as USADA. They oversee educating Olympic, Paralympic, Pan-American sport athletes on clean sport competition. And so when I first started, I didn't understand the full scope. I was just very excited. You know, I have this kinesiology background. I'm in the Olympic movement in a way, and I'm meeting athletes. And so my role um, transpired from 2002 all the way up to the Rio Olympics, face-to-face education with every Olympian that represented Team USA. So if you were on the archery team all the way to the wrestling team, you got to meet with me or you got to see a uh, tutorial video that I created to help educate to make sure that when an athlete is competing, that they're competing with their natural ability um, or they're using the gifts that they have and doing it in a natural way. And so our, at the time and still now, I know USADA's focus is to make sure that athletes have a good legacy they leave behind. You know, when I compete and I look back at my years of competition, I don't want people to say, oh, you know, she's got that asterisk next to her name or she was doing so good. And then all of a sudden mm, she tested positive for some steroid. I want to be able to know at night I 
trained. I worked hard. I got sore. I did everything involved being an athlete, but I did it naturally. And the legacy I leave behind for my kids to understand is what's important. And so I was able to meet with every athlete that you can think of. Um, our Paralympic athletes are amazing to hear their stories and hear, you know, when you meet with them and hear their come up, you're kind of like, I have no excuse, right? There's no excuse. I sh- <laughs> you really don't. And so um, what evolved throughout the years of me being there was realizing that some of the athletes that I looked up to were now these fallen heroes, as I like they to. Had yes, they had the asterisks next to their name. And it was devastating. Um, you know, there were athletes like Marion Jones that I looked up to and other athletes, um, 800 meter runners, just those in the track industry, um, in the, in the field that I felt it was like a letdown. First off, when you hear about it, it's a disbelief. You can't believe like, no, no, there's no way this person would do that. Like, you know, you, you go through, I'm sure emotions, like when there's a loss in the family. Yes. Yes, you do. Um, the anger stage is really not good. You know, I was upset thinking I grew up just, you know, with the posters on my wall as a kid of Marion Jones and these other high profile athletes. And you look up to them as almost role models. And so when your role model lets you down, it is, I mean, it cuts through the heart. And so that is just a few athletes that I know, but I, you know, there's a lot of Olympic sports. And so out there, there is a young athlete in high school or junior high that is looking up to this next cyclist or a diver or a gymnast. And it is their role model. Yes, your parents should be your role model, but in the athletic world, sometimes we're closer with our athlete family and our our coaches as well. And so when they let you down, it's very disappointing. And so... Um, One of the interesting dynamics of people mm-hmm. who really get to the, the pinnacle of success, mm-hmm. the names we all recognize, yep. is some people want to have a conversation about role models in which they're able to just shrug off the fact that by default, mm-hmm. that has become an aspect mm-hmm. of their athletic life. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so it's always interesting to hear like, someone say, well, I'm not a role model. Right. And in a way... They don't really get to make that choice. Right, right. And whether they accept that or not. Right. Because it's a slightly different conversation. Right. And I'd say that that falls in line with a lot of different aspects. Whether you're a teacher, whether you are in the political realm, whether you are a leader in some capacity, you become a figure to those that might be looking up to you. And so when I was meeting with these Olympians for Team USA, my goal was to let them know it, it, this here and now is going to be short-lived. We, we, you can be in athletics, you know, only so long, you know, there's a master's program, but at some point at the Olympic level, that high level elite status, um, your body may give out, it may be injury, you may lose interest, there may be a lot of different factors, but someone is looking up to you and if they're not looking up to you, it's the supporters, uh, what about the parents that had to drive right. you to practice Everyone and pay? Yes, at some level. Yes, yes. And so my role in anti-doping um, became very interesting when some of these little heroes of mine started to fall. And it was shocking because I kept thinking people wouldn't go that low. They, they wouldn't stoop. Mm, 
beneath themselves just to win, whether it's prize money or medal when there's no money involved or sponsorship, you name it. But then I was like, wow, this is the, the sports psychology to see that, yes, the do it all cost can take place and people do from all walks of life not just the rich the young the poor ethnicity there there was a it was an eye-opener and so you know there were times where I would hear people say oh I heard this one athlete tested positive and I you, you sure they wouldn't do that and people just had this disbelief they could not fathom someone would and sometimes what I found was let's say they took a medication, didn't do the research properly, weren't purposely trying to dope, but then did. They did. And the end of the day, you, you were caught doping, whether it was purposeful or accidental. So my goal was, wow, I need to make sure that someone from Team USA does not get into that situation where the ignorance of not knowing the education. So in your mind, you kind of partitioned off, uh, there's willful doping, mm-hmm. there's victory doping, mm-hmm. and did you feel like you had a greater probability of helping people prevent awesome. doping, and then people who are making an active effort to do it, mm-hmm. maybe we're going to be more difficult to influence, or were you trying to, right. I'm sure um, you're trying to address everyone. Right, I was trying to, those you know, that's, oh, that's a good question. Um, every time I went out to educate athletes, you know, when you're a presenter, you're facing them. Whether they want to be there because their coach made them come to the presentation or it's a bad time of day, it's at near their lunchtime after a practice. You, you understand all those dynamics as a presenter. But there, are, every once in a while, there would be someone that you can see the look on their eyes and you can see that guilty deer-in-the-headlight look. And then, you know, as a mom, that the mom role kicks in where I'm like, can I save them? <laughs> can I make, can I do something? Can I say the right thing to make sure that maybe they'll change their process? You know, I can't live their life. I can just try to provide the tools that they need. And at the what I started seeing were more athletes saying, hey, yeah, it's not fun having someone watch you pee. Like, who likes that idea? But thank you. Uh, Yusada or LaDonna for your presentation for helping me get out of this loophole that I could have gotten in. Um, I always use myself in ex- as an example. You know, I tell athletes, you know, living in Colorado, we got a lot of seasonal allergies, seasonal weather patterns, and I get a lot of allergies and issues. And when I would go to the doctors, my doctors would be like, hey, here's this. This will be a great steroid. This will help. And they just quick, 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 write that script, don't think twice. So it puts the athlete in the position to be take ownership of their own health you have to be your own voice you can't just go to the doctor and think yeah they know you're olympian but they don't know the rules of drug testing so you have to educate them you have to speak up you have to tell them hey i have to check my medications on a list you're about to prescribe something can we have an alternative or if so there's a therapeutic process. In Colorado Springs, were there particular doctors who were more educated? So if someone had to like, go visit Travis, yeah, where someone in their sport could say, well, the best person to go to is yeah, you know, Dr. Jones. Right, right. Right. Um, The Olympic Committee has um, their position where they are educating their doctors as well and their physicians. They have camps. They have um, ongoing education for them as well. And so it's not just in Colorado, but 
worldwide because sure, sure. athletes do travel. So I think, again, the, the tools are there. You know, USAD is there to help protect athletes. The World Anti-Doping Agency that's overseeing all of this is there to protect athletes. Um, at the end of the day, I if you... I was going to say, I sense yeah. the end of the day. Yeah, at the end of the day... Um, you have to know what kind of legacy you're going to leave behind and you definitely have to do your research. And so I think it was a wonderful opportunity. It gave me so much travel, which was awesome going to these different countries. Um, I always felt like if there was a break in the schedule, I was meeting with people, understanding the culture, tasting the food. I wanted everything. So I think it was a great opportunity to do all that. And now here with NSCA, I'm doing more domestic travel and still meeting people from all over. And it's been great. Mm-hmm. So let me connect a couple of dots. Okay. Pick your brain a bit. Okay. So you're a master's athlete. Mm-hmm. Discussed. Doping. Right? Yep. Yep. How do you feel about the reintegration of people who have the asterisk back into sport? Ooh. Hot topic. Hot topic. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Uh, But it applies. Yes. Yes. Um... I may not have a full answer for you, but there have been thoughts that have floated around, floated in my head. I do understand people are human and they do make mistakes. We all have. I mean, whether you cheated on a test in fourth grade or you were the kid that tried to steal that candy from 7-Eleven or you did something, you've made a choice in an ignorant way that got you into some kind of trouble. Maybe you learned from it. That's the goal, that you learn from it. <laughs> so have I probably competed against people that are currently doping? Or let me rephrase that. Am I competing against people that are doping? I'm sure. I'm sure of it. Um, does it sting to know that maybe I'm not going to hit the mark that they keep getting? I'm not going to get those times. I'm not going to get as fast as they are. Most likely, yes. But again, at the end of the day, I want to know when I go to bed at night, I'm doing what I'm supposed to do. And when my kids look back and someone's reading my obituary, it is going to say all kind of positive stuff. It is not going to say anything about, well, she was so great with the community, but then she took this shortcut and won all these medals and did all this. That's not going to happen. And so that is an individual aspect. Um, There are people that have served their time. They come back. I'm always curious to know what do they think about themselves at night? You know, what are they, what's going on? Do they, do they rejuvenate themselves, learn from their mistakes? I hope so. I hope so. Uh, Well, since you said earlier, your focus with what mm -hmm. you're doing, like you were healthy, right? You said you didn't check the rounds first. Right. So that would probably lend itself to yes. probably not being as upset. Right. <laughs> if you have dopers reintegrating mm-hmm. into mm-hmm. whatever events right. you're competing in. Yep. Um, but it sounds like, the words you mouth, you tell me, okay. they're fair. Okay. You think there's room for a reintegration. There's room in the conversation for some sort of reintegration. Like how do you feel about lifetime bans? Um, I think when someone is serving that lifetime ban, they may have been proving that they have not learned from their lessons. It's, you know, in many, in many cases, they have been uh, given their ban, served their time, came back, then got caught again. And so, you know, the system in place for banning people lifetime is 
they have. Do you sort of like the balance that things uh, strike right now? Um, I think so. I mean, right now, again, I'm not in the full spectrum of anti-doping now, sure, sure. but I do know those that have received that ban. Um, I think of it as this. If it happened to me, let's say I've reserved a lifetime ban, what would your what does your life then look like? Because for those that love sport and love movement and fitness and competition, it's a part of your life. Like I feel being active is in my DNA. I need one of those, you know, 23andMe or DNA tests to be like, yep, this lady has it in her blood to be athletic. And they're going to say the same thing when I'm 80 and 90 and 100 years old. So like I told you, I went through all kinds of stages after gymnastics. And that was, I think, a three-day window. I think Wednesday or Thursday, I was cut from a team after a year of being on the team and and, and 16 years of gymnastics. And then to go out on a Saturday, just a few days later, and, and that void, that Wednesday, Thursday, Friday... I didn't know who I was. The threat you weren't. Yes. I did not know who I was. And um, then Monday came around and the sun came out and I was on the track team. (laughs) Yes. So I would say, you know, um, it's unfortunate people that are going to take that road. If they get banned, there is a reason for it. Um, If they got a lifetime ban, there definitely is a reason for it. Reasons possible. Yes, reasons. Yes. And I hope they can find a new life because I had to from one sport to the next. And that void time, that's awkward. Maybe they, by then, maybe they're done and they hang up the hat and they're like, fine, I'm, I'll never run again, I'll never cycle, I'll never throw, you know, a sport or whatever. Maybe. But I don't see that for myself. So, best thing for me, stay clean as I've been doing, stay natural, do it God's gift has been given me and move as best I can and train smart. Still running when you're in your 90s. Yes. Oh, yeah. I have, there's a lady who is 100 years old. She's, I think she's 100. She runs the 50 meter or 100 meter. When she finishes the finish, at the finish line, she drops down and does push-ups. Like, who, that is just awesome right there. Like, not only are you 100, but you finish the finish of race, a sprint, and then you drop down and do some push-ups. Yeah, I'm not done yet. So I've got to figure out what what I'm going to do. I can't steal her push-ups, so I might, when I'm 100, maybe do a cartwheel. i got to do something to be like, yeah, I'm, you know. <laughs> That's right, a handstand or something. Something to just say it's a blessing that you're alive. Um got more to give back in the world and so that's the scope that's the plan and so also when you're in competition these competitions are all around so what better way to plan a vacation when you're going to compete at that location so i will be going to toronto this july to compete in the world championships to represent team usa i have never been in a world championship six thousand plus athletes from all over um you know, I think when I did compete in an international event that was regional, you know, I was speaking Spanish to the lady from Mexico and we we're long jumping. And then I'm uh, talking with another lady from Honduras and, and while we're throwing javelin. And so that's that's what it's about, meeting people and connecting. Mm-hmm. Let's bring it back to work. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Um, it's one of the things I was just thinking of. So, and I'm, and I'm sure a lot of 
lot of companies do this, and I would mm-hmm. assume staffs that come to these events do as well. But mm-hmm. We do like a post mortem. Okay. Like typical stuff. Like, mm-hmm. how you feel it went, mm-hmm. mm-hmm. you better, et cetera. Yep. But how does that process work at NSCA? Because like, we see events, right? We see mm-hmm. the events. Mm-hmm. We probably don't have a good sense for the efforts that get made to assess what we did. Right. And Right. Um, there is a lot of behind the scenes that take place. Uh, and, and before I came into this world of event planning, I always had that in other roles and jobs, but this on a different level. Um, our team does amazing work every day leading up to conferences and after conferences. Um, and, you know, I think what's important that debrief is, is, is key because... There are some things that don't work for certain people. You know, I do myself. I walk around meeting with the companies and I, I've been doing it this morning, asking them what's been, what worked? How did it go? You may have one company say, oh, you know, we didn't have a lot of people come by our booth. Okay. And then you have to kind of dig a little deeper. Is it because maybe you have a product that's not of interest for the members? Is it maybe because you chose a booth location that didn't have a lot of foot traffic? We never will be able to tell where people will walk, but um, there's a lot of factors. Um, Then, as an example, I did talk to a company who said, you know, not a lot of people came by. It was a good conference. And then the booth over was like, man, we were overwhelmed with the amount of people here. This is we got so many lead retrievals. This is uh, we connected with a lot of people that's a good you see that those dynamics and so when I go back um, I debrief on the things that I saw right away that could be changed you know we were in a different location Um, every conference will be different and then how can I improve it and so you and other companies are spending your time your effort you're away from your family you're sleeping in a foreign bed uh, you know all the the ups and downs of travel but you came to our show and we know that there's lots of shows throughout the year. So how can we help you want to come back to the show? And so that's what my goal is to make sure companies have a good time. I have heard that they all love the food. So I have to make sure that is passed along to my director. I and speak for both Avery and myself. <laughs> and say, we did enjoy the food. Okay. That's good. I mean, we're, we, people like to eat. I like to eat. So when the food is good, that's a good thing. So um, we will find other ways to keep improving. Um, but the, you know, the industry is a little different. Let's say when you're booking a hotel or when my director has booked a hotel five years out in advance, we've locked in on contracts at hotels. Well, maybe 10 years ago, it was a mindset of many people, hey, come to the hotel, you stay at the hotel. Well, Airbnb and different op- options now, that changes dynamics. So there's always a, a changing evolution that takes place on staying on top of what it needs to be as an event planner. Is, has that, has the advent of Airbnb and its popularity been bigger challenges for you in terms yeah. of that evolution? Or, or um, it have is, some of those things been? Yeah, I mean, it, it has been, you know, instead of maybe a lot of people staying at the same hotel location, the host hotel, they may stay at an Airbnb to save money. Um, but then you have some that'll say, yeah, we do save money, but we miss out on the connection when everybody's there sure. in the lobby and they're, they're having well, they're breakfast. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Um, we do offer live stream at our conference here at the coaches conference and in person. And so we're seeing those numbers. 
oh, that's that's all right. Maybe next time. <gasps> um, we are seeing people shift from maybe they just really now can't make the in-person presentation, and they're so thankful that they can catch these sessions sure. via live stream. So I had people texting me from Lincoln about what they were seeing on the live stream. Okay. So, okay. Oh, that's it good. It does create an interesting. It does. It does. But I can tell you, and that's not just because I'm a people person, but there is, you can't, you can't take away the connection you have in person with someone else. So when these strength coaches come, you know, unfortunate for those that can't make it, we get it, um, or chose not to come, uh, maybe budgets or whatever. But for those that are here, it is a night and day benefit. You are engaging, having those deep dive conversations with other coaches that you can't do from your couch. There's just, you're missing out on that connection. So I'm glad we're able to provide the um, live stream option, but I do think the in-person, it's just, uh, it's more dynamic. There's more um, connection, connection points that you get coming to a conference. Mm-hmm. Has one of the things that we think about, and maybe it's I can't really speak for other vendors, so maybe mm-hmm. it's here. Okay. The moving to the football playoff system, mm-hmm. and then having less and less games focused on just a few single days, right? That next game mm-hmm. has been completely spread out. Okay. Has that had a downstream effect on what you're trying to do? Um, I don't think so. I mean. The coaches' conference is, you know, we the location changes. We're here in uh, San Antonio, and I'm happy it's not snowing right now or anything. <laughs> um, and so we'll be in Vegas in July and back there again for a tactical conference, tactical uh, annual event. And so what I can say is it really, you know, the locations move around. Sure. A lot of our members are kind of East Coast and Midwest area, and yeah. so we need well, that's, to... That's where the U.S. population is. Yes, so. yes. I'm originally from California, so the West Coast, it's still good. It's still a good place. It's just expensive to live I'm just literally talking about the fact <laughs> where people are. I yes. Okay. Okay. Oh, yeah. Same here. Yep. I'm with you there. Bay Area. But yeah. I was born, I was born in Oakland, so, yep. You know the Bay Area. But, no, I think... Um, Luckily, I get to focus on the exhibitor side sure. of, of getting new companies, researching a lot of the new technology, seeing if they're a good fit for the people that are here. And so that, I, I, I focus on that, and I let uh, my director and the others kind of focus on the location, and, and they, that's, that's their expertise of that. So mm-hmm. speaking of location, mm-hmm. next year, yes. coaches will be at coaches. New Orleans. So, we will be, um, and I have not been to New Orleans, as they like to say. Um, I'm excited about it. Uh, obviously, I'm thinking about the food, let's be honest. I want to have some really good seafood. Yes, and the nightlife and the music. So, that is kind of what's exciting um, about going there. So, we will be in New Orleans. Um, I think the NSA has been there before. Um, just a few years back, but it was before me. So I'm kind of excited to bring all That's the companies. I don't remember that. No? Yeah. Year, I've, I've, I've yeah, a couple years. Um, I don't know which year. I'd have to ask staff, but they have been there because I've heard them all talk about the food. They and the, Yeah. They all have. Yep. Yep. Like, yep. Okay. You've got to go here. You got to try this. You're going to love the music. Um, always joke saying that our 
our national conference usually seems to be always in a hot place. <laughs> so in January, hopefully New Orleans will be not bad, um, but it's going to be exciting. So the shows probably they're already lining up the speakers and um, good lineup, and we'll fig- they'll notify everybody who the keynote speaker will be, and it's all that good stuff. So that for people who don't know, that makes sense. Oh, no, no. Like, how far, you mentioned earlier, like, like hotels, Mm -hmm. making making arrangements like that, but, like, how far out does the planning really get to? Um, on the exhibitor side, I can say that I want to get you information as a company six to eight months in advance, and what we're seeing is our shows are selling out, and so if you're a company that's like, oh, I'll just wait till later, I'll just, I'll sign up later... A lot of the good spots could be gone, if depending, you know, what's, quote, what's good, you know. But um, you might just be on a waiting list. You know, I had a, we did our tactical conference, and I had over 35 companies on a waiting list to get in, and there were no spots. So pre-planning is always beneficial, especially with coaches going to be in the beginning of the year. I think companies that are interested in 2021, you're going to want to sign up early. Because, one, that may help your financials out by end of year, close out all the, that you need to do. Um, but also just plan properly with, with everything. Yeah, absolutely. Well, on the vendor side, mm-hmm. depending on where you're at as a company, mm-hmm. like, those hit the same sort of budgeting challenges yes. that yes. anyone else might hit. Yes. Where, like I remember eight years ago, we were a startup. Mm-hmm. There was no way we were going to come in super right because you're really just trying to get right. right. Yep. So yep. As yep. opposed to today, where we're having conversations about baristas. Yeah. And yeah. Yeah. And you know, I, I'm mentioning that you um, Elite Form definitely did no something. No. No skills. No. No. I really am. I'm, okay. Let me just say this then. Because you took the approach of, you're not just here to get lead retrievals, you're here to make those connections with people. And people chat over coffee, they chat over tea, they, they chat. They stand in line for coffee. Yes. Yes. Selfishly. <laughs> so I do know our members really appreciate um, having you guys support that opportunity for a barista, you know. Some of these conferences are long days. Some of the halls are chilly. I can feel the AC blowing down, you know. The, having that opportunity uh, free uh, for them has been very, very beneficial. Very, very key. So, yeah. So, I can tell that someone needs your attention. Oh, okay. 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 <laughs>